Drew Romanda now in Calgary last night in Winnipeg. It was was Mackenzie Black? He was in that, right? Mackenzie Blackwood was no, he wasn't. Capo. Capo Caco. Capo Kakinen. 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 No, oh, if, if we had Capo Caco, we'd be a different team. So I was uh, I was thinking last night when I was I saw the box score. I was like, was that Mackenzie Blackwood at his best again with forty some shots or whatever he was facing no. with the uh, thirty eight. He was Capo was brilliant, but he's they've both been good all year. I know it, even though their save percentage and and everything else is below uh, is is bottom of the league. It's it's not goaltending. Too young a team, and they're not very good. So we got uh, Mackenzie Blackwood tonight then for the uh, yeah San Jose Sharks. But the the big news in the NHL is after going to his coach's office every single day saying, "Can I play yet? Can I play yet? Can I play yet?" How about now? How about now? Like the young kid in the back of the car on the road trip saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Connor Bedard finally got the answer he was looking for saying, fine, play, whatever, go ahead, wear the full face, watch your head out there, keep your head up, Bedard, as they take on the Pittsburgh Penguins tonight. <laughs> he gets to go against Sid. Yeah. So that'll be that'll be the the second time he gets to do it. So he would have. This would be a nice, nice night for him. It's amazing how much publicity the thirty-first place team in the league gets over this. Um, the it's no surprise. I mean, it's what this kid does. He wants to yep. play hockey. He's just the guy who didn't want to go to Hawaii when he was a kid because he couldn't skate. So this is not a surprise. We were told that by several sources that he was just a constant pain in the rear end for Luke Richardson and the, and the trainers and the dots. <laughs> That's good. Never lose that, boy. Never lose that. Well, he's this game can drum this game can drum it out of you. So when it becomes just a business, but the great ones, it's a passion. I, I'm interested to see on uh, how quickly he gets right back in there. On he was, Seriously. you could see, you could see the game grow, get more comfortable, get more space. It was similar to Connor McDavid in his first year, and it was getting better. Then he had that unfortunate injury. But when he came back, destroyed his shoulder. When McDavid came and, back, it was all of a sudden another level. Didn't he get three points in that first game back? The uh, goal, the goal against Columbus in his first game back was legendary. You just go watch it. I, Kevin Quinn and I called that game, and he scores that goal. The place went nuts. It was old Rexall. Place went crazy. It was. Coming in at almost the same angle that he came in when he got hurt. So there's no fear in his game. I mean, that goal, I, I still look at it as one of his best. And he's, he's scored a lot of great ones. But it's it's that's what great ones do. They they move on. They they focus on the next thing. And so, so for Connor, it's, you know, you should go out and just go play. Well, Drew Romenda, uh, uh, you're a good friend, a uh, good friend of the green zone. Uh, John Tortorella mm-hmm. dropped another great quote again today, as he mm-hmm. always as he always does. Now, this is going to be the headline, right? The, the headline will be this. It's a dumb league. John Tortorella calls yeah. the NHL a dumb league in terms of the young players today. Yep. I hope everybody goes and finds the full clip because I'm going to play, play it for you now. So if you're listening, you won't have to go find it. Here's the full answer to the question on John Tortorella's thoughts on the younger players, and it went back to the Ridley Gregg, Morgan Riley incident on 
the younger generation in the NHL? It's a different league. It's a it's a different league in. Um, I'm going to be really careful how I say it. So, um, I, I, it, well, it's a dumb league. It, 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 it is, it's changed for coaches too, and we've had to make adjustments because there are so many mistakes made. And I, I guess the thing with the young athletes is, sometimes you have to wait your turn, right? As far as gaining respect and. And not wanting everything right now, and not expecting everything right now, as far as ice time, as far as your contract, whatever it may be. Sometimes it's good just to wait your turn and earn it. I think that's where I think the athletes have, have changed. They have entourages around them that I think direct them the wrong way. And uh, the hierarchy of a room, the hierarchy of what it is to be a pro, the process you have to go through as a pro, I think's lost a little bit with with the athlete now. And. Uh, it's something I miss terribly in, in being in the league for so long, seeing where it's gone to now. Great athletes, great skill, great speed, but uh, the mental and the understanding what it is to be a pro and, and respecting the National Hockey League, that's where uh, I have some struggles. Drew, what do you think of what Torts had to say about the young kids today? He's not wrong as far as say, the young kids wanting everything Right now, they think they deserve ice time. They think they deserve to be in the power play, the penalty kill. They they think they deserve the big contract, and they want to get to that next chance to get a big contract. He's not wrong regarding there's so many mistakes in this game now as compared to before. I blame that, though, on, one, how the speed of the game has picked up so quickly that you have to be able to make your decisions quicker than instantaneously. So those mistakes actually is what fuels the game. If you watch every league and you watch it from Wee to Bantam to, I'm sorry, from kids on up, I guess you can't say those things anymore. Just from go with odd numbers. Up, uh, U7, U9, U11, U12. No, I'm just going to go kids. Kids <laughs> on up. Every time, every time the league, every time you get, you get to the next level of a league, the mistakes are reduced from any level. And then once they get to start going to the SJHL or the or tier two junior or then junior, then AHL and I, and then to the pros, the mistakes get reduced and reduced and reduced because there's more structure and more coaching involved. The, the problem that you have now that I think there's not enough thinkers on the ice. It's they rely on, I gotta be here. I got to be in quadrant Q1, and that's my that's my quadrant I can take care of in my zone. You look at the way teams play in the defensive zone now. Used to be man on man, used to be reads, used to be on your toes, boom, boom, and, and communication back and forth. Now they play a they play the on or call it whatever you want, but your certain areas you release guys now. You let them go. It's like zone defense in football. It's a zone defense in hockey. So. There's more structure that forces the kids or, or the kids rely on, the young players rely on, and coaches drill it into them and drill it into them and drill it into them. But also, I would blame the coaches themselves. And I've been on this for a while now when I watch practices. Practices are so um, random. There's no precision in the practices. 
There's three on two flow drills. There's one on O's. There's two on O's. Shoot for a rebound. D man jumps up. They go three on two transition and then they attack three on one and they make passes across the blue line as soon as they enter the zone and big slappers and guys turn away. It's every team. You watch every team practice and there's zero precision. You watch a football team practice. Linebackers are working with linebackers. D-backs are working with D-backs and QBs and everybody. They're doing their thing. If I'm working with defensemen, I want to work on three things. I want to work on get back to the puck quick, exit the zone under pressure, number one. Number two, stand up in the neutral zone, kill plays quickly as soon as they enter the zone. Number three, making sure that the front of the net, you're you're working with your partner in in sync. It's like those 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 metal balls on the on the the momentum machine on somebody's executive's desk that just took click. That's how that's how your D should play. But they don't practice that. They don't practice it. Now you don't get a lot of time to practice it, but they don't practice it. So as far as the dumb on ice stuff goes, coaches have to share their their the brunt of the blame there. What about the now, lack of respect for the league? Well, that was interesting. That was the one that was interesting. If you're telling me that slapping a puck into an empty net is a lack of respect for the league, I, I'd say that's a huge leap. What about the uh, other story going into tonight's game? The NHL had to uh, go, hey, Detroit and Vancouver. I know the one guy did the gritty after winning in a, a penalty shot in overtime, uh, but don't Vancouver, don't do any retaliatory stuff. Because there's talk tonight, oh, Vancouver's ticked off that he did the gritty after winning the game on a penalty shot in overtime that now apparently he's going to have to fight the Canucks tonight because how dare he celebrate a game-winning goal. Yeah, it's amazing to me. Again, if if that shakes you, if that angers you, if that's i got to go fight that guy because he celebrated, you're soft. You are friggin' soft. You are as simple as that. And that's the one aspect of the game I, I look at. And again, so-called unwritten rule. If it's unwritten, then how is it a rule? Number two, this code. Let's not, let's not mix this up. This game is what it is. This is a game played by guys who are alpha dogs, who guys who are go after it, who guys who are intense, who, who want to do as much as they can to win the game. This is not a game of when you talk, well, there's honor and the respect. And give me a break. Stand down by the ice and listen what those guys say to each other and what they do to each other and tell me it's it's a game of respect. Please. The game is what it is. So let's not romanticize it to the point of you have to have respect and reverence like you're stepping out on Augusta for crying out loud. So I disagree. I will disagree. And when I talk to see John next month, I will, I will talk to him about that. But I, I disagree with the fact that the slapping a puck into an empty net is a lack of respect. I think you respect your opponents. You respect the whole league because of what they've been able mm-hmm. to do and build the, the program up. And you respect, I agree with the hierarchy part, but I've got some issues with that as well. You know, like there's, there's teams that veterans go off, go on the bus first, go off the bus first to, to, get off the plane first and, and the and the kid, rookie sit behind. I asked Brett Hedekin, I said, did that ever happen with Carolina? You guys won the cup? He went, no. So we a team or not? I went, exactly. So there's there's some issues there I have as well. But overall, you know, I, I will acquiesce to John Tortorella and his views because he's been around the league a long time and he's brilliant. 
Jamie and I, Drew Amanda, with you here on the Green Zone. As, uh, yeah, that's uh, Torts Diatribe when asked about some of the younger players hot dogging it in the uh, National Hockey League. Now, there was another young player who burst onto the scene with some of the greatest hair known to man. His name's Yarmir Yager. His number 68 will be retired this weekend in Pittsburgh for the Penguins, which had us thinking in the Green Zone Lounge today. Who deserves to be on the all-hair team in the National Hockey League? We are getting some great suggestions on the text line. We'd love to hear your nominees at one 332 8255 We know the coach is Barry Melrose. We know his assistant is Drew Remenda because of that, that <laughs> no, skullet no. we saw way back in the uh, 90s. No. Um, we can put him on there. But who should be on the ice in the all-hair team in the NHL next on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM? Jamie and I and Drew Amenda with you here on the Green Zone. Hair of the dog. I see what you did there, Scotty. All righty. Yarmir Yager this weekend, 68, will be retired by the Penguins. We had a uh, lengthy debate in the Green Zone Lounge today on the greatest hair in hockey history with Yarmir Yager. Um, And we'll turn it over to you as well. A lot of votes, Drew Amenda, for Derek Sanderson. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Looking it up, I'm like, that was a great head of hair. Nice, long, thick mane, that Boston Bruin hat. My my brother uh, my brother Doug texted me, and it was the same guy I thought of when I got the note from, from Scotty today, Derek Sanderson, and there's another one that we'll bring up to uh, play lo- for the Rangers. Who A lot of people also uh, want the Skullet uh, Ally Afraidy on there, um, one of the most – legendary haircuts in NHL history on the all-hair team in the NHL. One of the most unique personalities you'll ever meet in your life. He played for the Sharks for a couple years, and Big Al, man, he was great to be around. Great, great dude. And a a few votes for Ryan Smith as well, the uh, Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. Ryan Ryan had a good dude. Hey, Wayne Gretzky didn't have some – he had an okay – Hairdo back in the day with the Oilers. Yeah, but Marty, Marty, Marty McSorley put him to shame. Yeah, McSorley's was beautiful. <laughs> that so, was a look at the, look at pictures of Marty in L.A. That was fantastic. Uh, your nominees, please, at one eight seven seven three three two eight two five five for the all hair NHL team. I'm Jamie Nye. He's Drew Romenda here on the Green Zone on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, the uh, nominees are still coming in, Drew Romenda, on the uh, greatest hockey hair of all time. Um, we have one for Guy Lafleur. Uh, yeah, yeah, that bag was iconic back in the day. The, the locks yeah. floating yeah. behind him as he iconic. dashed through the neutral zone on his way to score yet another marvelous goal for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Guy Lafleur. Um, another one is where is it here? Ron Dugay. That's what I was gonna. That was that was the other guy. When Doug texted me, that was the two guys. I immediately thought of, and he thought of it too. He texted me. He said he heard the the promo, and he said 
I got two for you, Derek Sanderson and Ron Duguay. Ron Duguay was – he was the gold standard. Man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> of Beautiful. course. We're talking uh, hockey hair with the uh, Yarmir Yager's uh, number 68 being retired by the Pittsburgh Penguins on the Sunday. But right now we're going to talk some business of sport. Breaking down the business of sports with Tom Mayonek. Our sport business analyst, Tom Mayonek, the host of the sport market. How did you have a mullet back in the day, Tom? Did you or did you uh, model yourself after Guy Lafleur in your Montreal days? <laughs> you know what? Uh, from strictly a hair point of view, maybe I did, but from a hockey point of view. I couldn't even begin. I couldn't even begin. I mean, uh, he was so special uh, as the flower. Uh, you know, it, it's 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 interesting to sort of think of him in all those years that he went without the helmet, and then of course at the uh, end of the career, he um, he, uh, he 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 did have to uh, uh, wear it for a while. So I mean, I'll tell you, lots of memories. Uh, of Guy Lafleur from from back in the day, and also some Ron Duguay stories. If you guys uh, have, oh, you got Ron Duguay stories? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it's it's a quick it's a quick thirty second uh, hit. But friend of a friend was um, uh, called up to join the New York Rangers, and uh, everything happened so quickly. Didn't have accommodation. I think there was some other big convention happening. So Ron Duguay invited him to stay at his condo in Manhattan, of course, back then, uh, you know, with the with the Rangers. And um, uh, the buddy woke up in the morning, went to the fridge uh, to, you know, see what was there. And uh, then he closed the fridge door and then it revealed a woman standing right in front of him. And that woman uh, who was wearing a nightgown and everything uh, was none other than Cher. Good, man. <laughs> Ronnie Duguay was a player player. He was a player on and off the ice. 19-year-old from Mississauga. Uh, and uh, his first night staying in Ron Duguay's condo, he gets to meet Cher. That's a great way to meet Cher, too, back in the day. Carol Alt, too. Of course, there's the big Carol Alt relationship. And you know who he dated just recently? Like, just recently, about maybe a year ago? Sarah Palin. That's right. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ronnie That's Duguay, right. man. He was he was legend. Oh man, he's no, as he, many famous relationships as Taylor Swift word. does, apparently. Um, <laughs> but okay, uh, speaking of Taylor Swift, uh, she won her first Super Bowl on the weekend as the uh, Kansas City <laughs> Chiefs uh, beat the, the <laughs> beat the Forty ers the most watched telecast ever. Now, to be fair, of course, outside of Super Bowls, the most watched telecast was MASH Finale. Uh, since 2010, I think every Super Bowl has been the most watched telecast ever. This one jumps again to 123 million people. Uh, will it keep growing? Will it ever stop growing in viewership for the Super Bowl? Well, you know, without, you know, claiming that I've got a crystal ball, in general, it'll continue to grow. It'll probably stagger step a little bit where for a few years it'll, it'll um, be in the range plus or minus 5 million, um, you know, to the 123 
uh, 0.4 million that CBS had uh, this year on its uh, on its uh, respective platforms, um, and then then you, you see it shoot up like it has, you know, these past couple of years, uh, 112 to 114 to 115.1 last year, and now uh, 123. Now I was thinking it could hit as high as 125 uh, million. Uh, dollars in the uh, sorry uh, audience in the United States, but make no mistake. Um, you guys mentioned Taylor Swift. Uh, I said this on the show on the weekend that Taylor Swift was going to be the Super Bowl MVP on the business side. Uh, on the business side, obviously, we all know Patrick Mahomes uh, is Super Bowl MVP on the field, but on the business side of things, nobody had a greater impact on Super Bowl, especially what was happening on the TV side, than Taylor Swift. And, uh, you know, I, I, as I said, I still think there's some room to grow, uh, especially the global audience. I believe the global audience will grow at a rate that is uh, beyond the domestic audience uh, in these next few years, especially with what they're doing in Brazil with the Friday game this coming season, what they're doing in Madrid um, with, uh, with, 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 with another European game, what, what they're doing in the UK at Wembley and what they're doing in, in, in Germany. You add all that up. And I believe that those global audiences will grow. But when you look at the, the fact that the female audience is now, uh, you know, about 47.5% uh, of the overall audience, that is really significant. When you look at the fact that the 18 to 34s grew uh, twice as much as the 25 to 54 uh, demographic category, that's all Taylor Swift. And, uh, you know, we'll be, you know, peeling the layers of these numbers uh, on this weekend show, but that gives you a perspective as to uh, the growth this year being triggered by that special occasion. I think you might see it go, you know, slip back a, a, a couple of million if uh, she nor the uh, Chiefs are um, back in contention or if by that time she's written the story about her ex-boyfriend, uh, Travis Kelsey. Exactly. <laughs> the song about her ex-boyfriend. So uh, there'll, there'll continue to be some growth, especially internationally, guys. Um, but certainly this was a Taylor Swift uh, a Super Bowl in some significant fashion. Tom, we were talking this morning a bunch of the, the Sharks broadcasters as we try to fix everything within uh, the NHL. Um, Jarmo Kaikalainen, the, the general manager of the Blue Jackets, the Columbus Blue Jackets, gets fired. And we were talking about, you know, how much money the ownership was spent with this particular general manager, but it's every organization does. I'm not just looking at Jarmo here. How much money they have spent for no real return on their dollar probably looking at well over a half a billion dollars when salaries and everything else probably closer to three quarters of a billion dollars how much do you think philosophically should an owner start looking at just the dollars and cents of this guy running his, their his business or their business and not getting the return how much how much do you think an owner should look at the actual financials of the deals made and not just go, oh, well, that's just that's just sports. Well, it's such a fascinating question, Drew, and it, 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 there's so many things to unpack in that. And, of course, 
well beyond the time that we have. Yeah. But it, yeah. it speaks to it speaks to what I still consider to be the best practices model that um, you know the best owners are the ones that hire uh, the most you know experienced uh, the best uh, you know hockey operations talent that uh, uh, that they can find and then they empower uh, those executives, the president, uh, hockey operations, general manager, uh, you name it, uh, and, and the others in the front office. Uh, I still think the best franchises in sport provide that empowerment. Uh, a, 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 a classic case exa- of, of how that turns an organization around. I'm not so sure that Jim Benning uh, and even the last uh, year of uh, Trevor Linden's general managership of the Vancouver Canucks, uh, I don't think that the the buck stopped at Trevor Agreed. Linden while he was president or it stopped uh, with, with, with Jim Benning. There was a lot of owner involvement. But Jim Rutherford has found a way to manage upwards um, the uh, French, uh, Francesco Aquilini as the governor and, and the family are, uh, I think, really respecting the empowerment of their front office, and hence they've been able to do what they've been able to do. Now, now having said that, it's ownership money, and you know, very few owners will flippantly view, um, you know, those expenditures, and they'll certainly, you know, want to, you know, have the highlights, so to speak. But very rarely will they turn it over. Where you get into trouble is when an owner does the review, has received the recommendations, and keeps on overturning them and saying, no, I don't want to do that deal. I don't want to do that deal. That's how you see sometimes deals that look like they're about to be made. They wind up being scalded at the last minute. And why that happens is the general manager didn't get signed off from the owner. So that causes problems, and it makes that general manager a less worthy or less attractive trading partner if they feel that a deal won't get done because of lack of ownership support. Okay, this one, this one, Tom, before we wrap up, I'm just curious. I'm gonna, we only have like 30 seconds to 60 seconds. What, what, do you, what do you think of Sunday Red Brand with Tiger Woods? I'm a little... I'm a little disappointed in the logo, oh. to be quite honest, on the Tiger logo. He's got a new brand now. He's got his own thing. Although he uses Sunday as two different words, which is uh, confusing to me. Well, what do you think of uh, Tiger's new venture in apparel? I I love the name. I just am shocked and disappointed in the logo, how anybody could think I get the fact that it's 18 holes. I get the fact it's meant to be a tiger, but that is way too busy logo for apparel. And I love the name, but I really think it's a misfire on the actual sign that goes along uh, with, with, with Sunday Red. Sunday Red is so institutional. It's so iconic, given what Tiger has meant on all those Sundays uh, over the years. Uh, but there had to be a better, simpler logo. Uh, Justin Blackwell has the logo. It, it, Tiger should have called JB. It should just have been the Tiger fist pump as the logo. Like his, like the NBA logo is the just him with the iconic Jordan, fist pump. Think, well, think about and the Jordan Air, Air, Air Jordan logo. That's the, the Air him. Jordan logo is exactly where Tiger Woods should have gone. The parallels yeah. are countless. And it would have it would have worked. I wouldn't be surprised if they wind up changing it. But uh, 
I, I think it's going to put a bit of a ceiling on those sales. I just don't think it's an attractive logo. That is our sport business analyst, Tom Manex. We'll have a lot more on this on the weekend on the sport market. Tom, uh, thanks for that Ron Dugay share story. That was fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know, uh, especially when you, the, the part I forgot to tell you is that the um, OHL uh, call up uh, was actually just wearing underwear. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's the best. <laughs> The eighties, man. Hello, seventies and eighties, man. Hello, Miss Cher. Uh, I'll just go back to the bedroom. See you later. Uh, This is nine eighty CJME and six fifty CKO. Jamie Nye, Drew Remenda, with you here on the Green Zone. Someone texted in: the moon landing had more viewers than this Super Bowl. I know that. That this is this. I know. It was that that is the most watched thing, but that's considered a news breaking news moment. Apparently there's different categories. This is the most watched telecast ever, non-news related, apparently, uh, that they go by. If you go outside of the Super Bowl and news, right. Right. MASH's uh finale uh, was yeah. the most watched television show ever. Uh, we were talking about the Tiger Woods logo. Uh, someone texted in, Tiger's logo should have been the stop frame at the 16th hole of the Masters where the ball paused before falling in. Well, here it comes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow! In your life have you seen anything like that? That call... That moment, Vern Lundqvist is retiring. It'll be his final Masters, his 40th Masters for Vern Lundqvist on CBS, uh, calling that moment. That's one of my favorite sports calls of all time, is Vern Lundqvist. Was, did he, was it Pat Summerall or Vern that did Yes, Sir with Jack Nicholas? Well, maybe. That was Vern Lundqvist. Uh, yeah, yes, that's it was. a great call to working at uh, working at the uh, UBC Golf Club in Vancouver. I remember we were all watching that. That was a great call, yes, sir. But you know what? Notice that the person who was working with Vern uh, on both of those <laughs> didn't hear much from him. What isn't that amazing? That the crowd took us. What? To that moment. What do you mean? First and goal. Mahomes flings it. It's there! For the Super Bowl. For the Super Bowl. Could you imagine? It's going to go in, Vern. Shut up! <laughs> uh, Tony Romo. It's in, it's in, it's in, it's in, Vern. It's in. <laughs> and, hey, to be fair, I've done it. I've done it to Randy Hahn. And you're getting to Bokov's big moment, but... To be, again, to be fair, come on, man. <laughs> yes, legendary Vern Lundqvist will call his final Masters this year.